kind of you. Uh, Nicolas, would you like to add something to that? Um, no. <laughs> I, first, I would like to apologize for my not so good English. No because problem. It's, uh, but I think some of you might speak French. So we can speak French. C'est bon? Um, <laughs> no? You can, I can try. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so no, so excuse me. For okay, um, you both uh, worked for Disney at one point in your lifetimes, for your careers, and um, you both have very different experiences. Uh, so I well first would like to touch upon your education. How did you go, uh, how did you start in animation? Uh, first, um, Since I was a child, I really wanted to do uh, not animation, uh, but comics. That's what I'm doing right now, in fact. And um, uh, But I did not know how to do comics, uh, because uh, in France we don't have uh, schools that uh, can explain how to do comics. So, mm -hmm. uh, so I just uh, draw and draw and keep drawing every time. And... Um, At one point, uh, I've got to make a decision, and uh, I've got a friend who were at the Goblin Animation School. I don't know if you know it, it's the, in the school in Paris of animation, and certainly one of the best in the world. In fact. Yeah, ex ex exactly. It's, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's amazing, because it's, uh, uh, when I uh, uh, tried to enter at the Goblin, um, they took 20 people, Uh, for uh, 400 people who wanted to enter the school. And uh, I know that now it's, they always take 20 people, but it's uh, 4,000 uh, people who are trying to enter the school. And a uh, uh, company like Disney, Pixar, um, DreamWorks, <laughs> uh -huh. uh, they came at the end of the school to just make them their market, in fact, to, to choose some people. So it's uh, one of the best schools. And so I'd, I succeeded, and uh, I went to this school for two years. Mm -hmm. And um, after this, uh, at that time, a long time ago, uh, Disney Animation has a brand in uh, Paris. Uh, and uh, they ask us if we wanted to just make a, a little stage for uh, two weeks. And uh, then they hired us, some, some of us. And so I started uh, as a uh, small one at Disney and mm -hmm. uh, working for them for 10 years. It used to be called an, uh, a journeyman, I believe, in, in America, where you get trained in the studio and you grow into your role as an animator. So. You have a whole different experience. Well, I um, carved cave paintings. <laughs> no, um, my father wanted to be a cartoonist, um, but when he graduated uh, college, it was the Great Depression, uh, and he took any job he could mm -hmm. and never got back to cartooning, or I think he wanted to do political cartooning. Uh, but he had all these uh, famous art, famous artist cartooning courses uh, and art books and how to cartoon. So it was always part of my life seeing the behind the scenes of comic strips. Uh, and I always loved cartoons. And plus my dad worked for Carnation Company, which was a company who had restaurants in Disneyland. So once a year, the company picnic was in Disneyland. And so once a year I got to go there And in the early days, they had a giant art of animation exhibit. So you got to see, brainwashed into the wonderful <laughs> world of animation. And I bought the original Bob Thomas art of animation book, mm -hmm. uh, which was focused on Sleeping Beauty, but went through every stage from the old short subjects through how they put together a feature film. Uh, and I always loved that. And then when I was older, uh, in high school going to college, I wanted to, be, uh, I wanted to be an animation, but I said the only place that's doing full animation is Disney Studios, and they have all their animators. Uh, and strangely, that was actually true at the time, but because the people who started the studio with Walt 
were still there, still working. Most of the nine mm -hmm. old men, the classic nine animators, um, were still there and working while I was at college. So I thought, oh, I, I love Marvel Comics. I thought maybe I'll do that. Um, I, so I didn't... I didn't have a smart career path. In college, I started as an art student, an art major, uh, but then all my English teachers wanted me to move into that for my writing, and I kind of ended up with a major that was supposed to combine them both, and somehow I ended up not taking any more uh, painting or drawing classes. I did sculptures and ceramics, and uh, uh, you know, three-dimensional art, and I never ended up taking a writing course. So who knows what that happened? But luckily, I fell in love with a girl <laughs> who is now my wife, whose suite mate in her apartment was the daughter of Exitensio, who was worked with Ward Kimball and in the Disney Studios, and then at the time was working in Imagineering, um, and his daughter said to me, you should apply to the Disney training program. I went, what Disney training program? <laughs> and she gave me the name of the executive whose name was Donald Duckwall. Mm -hmm. And so I did not forget that name. Uh, I called just for information. This is my graduating year of college, just to find out what this was about. He assumed I wanted an appointment. So he said, come in next Thursday. Okay, you know, with a portfolio of life drawing and action. Uh, I hang up the phone, and I haven't been an art student for three years. So luckily, I said I did ceramics. I became a teacher's assistant in ceramics. The head of the art department was on sabbatical, and my ceramic teacher became the head of the department. And he loved Disney. He could do the goofy yell and demonstrated, you know, for me. And so he let me sit in on uh, life drawing classes. So for a week, I created a portfolio. I, I drew from life. I d did everything I, I could. Um, went and had my meeting, and they thought, they said, we really need more action sketches, like from life and all that. And once I got into Disney, I found out that people came back like months later. I thought they wanted it like the next day. So that weekend, I watched TV. I watched um, sports games and basketball and tried to draw from that. And I cheated with sports magazines and said, that's a good pose. I'll change that. Uh, anyway, they were impressed because in animation, you have to draw a lot. Uh, they liked my action sketches. Um, they liked that I came back so soon and had, and they knew, wow, he produced a lot of this stuff. Uh, and that got me considered in their review board. And the review board was Frank Thomas, Ollie Johnson, Milt Call, Ken Anderson, these, these again, yeah. for the most part, yes. Um, and I survived to get into the program. Well, the training program then was just Eric Larson, who had animated like Figaro and Pinocchio in a room, <laughs> and then the rest of us just in a room next to him. And at the same time you're learning animation, you have to do a test. Now, because of my background, I knew the basics of animation. I had never animated anything other than flip books. You know, I always, we had a, a, a class that had a big fat book, which a paperback book about that big. And I love that because I did a very, <laughs> long flip book, you know, in the pages. Uh, anyway, I survived. I came in five months after Ron Clemens, who then, of course, mm -hmm. went on to do Little Mermaid and Aladdin and Treasure Planet and Hercules and Moana. And um, two months before Glenn Keane, who was master animator. Uh, so that was where I am. I shared a room with Ron and I survived the the two reviews, and what happened is you then become an in-betweener. Um, so you learn, because you're in a production, um, you learn about animation as you are doing the job. Mm -hmm. I was a terrible in-betweener. 
I was almost fired from being my in-between sister. So poor Ron Clemens, I would in-between for him, and he would, without telling anyone, redo all my work. Once, I did one really, really fast, and he came into my room, and he said, what did you do? These are really good. <laughs> I said, I'm sorry you're so surprised. Um, anyway, at that point, you got to, by doing personal tests in your spare mm -hmm. time, little animation tests, and I would start one, and this is back in film, not video, and you give it, turn it in, and they shoot it for you. The production always came first, but then they shoot it for you. And... Um, I kept doing them, and finally, I always had a better idea I wanted to do. Um, finally, one day after I had been there, barely surviving on my in-betweening for about a, maybe a year there, um, the manager of the department was coming down the hall, and I was looking at an old test of mine. I said, Ed, come in here and tell me, I was thinking of finishing up this test to show the review board, do you, what do you think? And he looked at it and he said, uh, oh no, that's good, show it like this. And I was like, oh great, you know, and there's a little pause and then he said, yes, we had given up on you. <laughs> and I went, oh, oh, what? <laughs> Maybe this could have come up in a six month review or mention it. And what it was, I kept starting tests but never showing anybody. So they thought I was just not doing the work. So luckily after that, I got back mm -hmm. on track, but I realized the, I became assistant animator. I had one little scene in The Rescuers, um, but I realized the reason why I was doing so many tests over and over is because I rather create what the character was doing than making him do it. As much as I love the process of animation, uh, and bringing the drawings to life, I realized, and they gave me a chance to go into story and storyboarding. Yeah, but Nicholas, he, uh, he started working as an in-betweener, if I'm yeah, correct. Yeah, yes. I mean, in fact, at Disney, I only did uh, animation and uh, every step. So uh, mm -hmm. in-between, then clean-up, mm -hmm. then a rough in-between, then animation. And uh, I worked for them, as I told you. I, in fact, it's, it was so amazing and so cool to work at Disney. Uh, in France, I mean, uh, that I completely forgot that uh, I wanted to do comics, in fact. So, mm -hmm. so it's just that, uh, and the first time I went to the theater and see uh, my name on a big screen, I was just like, wow, my God. What was your first production? The first production on? in France, we did a uh, goofy movie. Oh, okay. And then we made the short one, uh, Runaway Brain, uh, mm -hmm. completely in France. And then we started on Hunchback of Notre Dame, and then Hercule, Atlantis, Cusco, um, Tarzan. Uh, and you were there for that long? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Lido and Stitch, uh, Lido and Stitch, and uh, I finished uh, on Jungle Book 2. All right. Uh, and uh, I think the best part for me uh, was two years when in production when we were doing uh, Tarzan. Mm -hmm. Glenn Keane went to France yeah. for those two years, and I, w I was his assistant. Oh, and wonderful! So it wow. was just a kind of dream come true. In fact, every morning I went uh, to Glenn's office and we took a coffee and discussed about the scene and that kind of thing, and that was just amazing. Andreas Deja came also on uh, uh, The Hunchback. Uh, and we had um, a lot of uh, American great artists who came at the at our studio, and um, yeah, it, it was right. It was really a really good time. In fact, uh, as I told everyone, for me, it's, uh, it was not like a work. For me, it was uh, the, the best uh, place to draw. In fact, to learn how to mm -hmm. draw and to draw uh, uh, not only animation, but to draw. Yeah, we have a live drawing. We have a lot of things like this. And uh, Disney really knows how to to make you want stay with them, in fact. Yeah. And so they, we have the, the best tables, the best uh, everything, in mm -hmm. fact. And uh, uh, at lunchtime, we have uh, English lessons for the, the one who wants. So we had uh, live drawing lessons. We have um, everything. We, if you work on Notre Dame, uh, the hunchback of Notre Dame, 
we have a private visit of Notre Dame and we go to uh, um, a lot of uh, museum and that kind of thing. When we were working on Tarzan, we went to zoo to do uh, sketching, uh, sketching animals and that kind of thing. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, it was, uh, in fact, I, I really want, at some point, I remember that I wanted to do comics. That's why I decided to to completely switch. Uh, but uh, now I do remember that it was just, it was not a work, in fact. It was just only pleasure all the time. So you said that Gobelin, which yeah. is a very famous school. Uh, many of your colleagues at Disney yeah. came from that school yeah. and started to want to do comics and yeah. went into animation because of the school. So did, did they try to transition, to transition you to animation or did it come naturally? In fact, the prob uh, it's funny because now that I'm doing comics, only comics and not, not animation anymore, uh, it's funny because um, I've got a lot of friends still in the animation industry and they want to do comics. And I've, when I've um, met other people that are doing comics right now, they want to go in animation. And so, I don't know, in fact, it's two completely wo complete, uh, different worlds, in fact. And uh, it's, a, it's funny because um, you... At one point at Disney, I remember, I, um, I realized that uh, I saw my name on the big screen and I realized that uh, my name is not alone on the big screen. Uh, we are about maybe 1,000 sometimes, it depends on the movie. And um, at that point, I think I realized that uh, I wanted to do my own things, in fact. That's why I wanted to do uh, comics. And um, I don't know if you know them, but there are a lot of uh, very famous artists who are at Disney with me, like uh, Juan Ro Guarnido, who make Black Sad uh, oh. as a comics. Uh, it was my neighbor at Disney. Oh, really? And uh, Pierre Larry was there yesterday, Virginie Augustin, and uh, Didier Poli, and uh, Olivier Pont, Cyril Pedroza, a lot of uh, French artists. Uh, we were at Disney at the same time, and it's funny because it's uh, we all did also the Gobelin. Yeah. Almost. If you can. Ah, yeah, but okay. See your graduation so, picture. So, yeah. So, these are all graduates. This, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so it's, it's funny. Come back to the other one. Yeah, sure. Okay. So, it's, it's funny because uh, these guys, so it was my promotion at the Gobelin. Uh, not a, a lot <laughs> more. And this guy, Christophe Lautret, it's funny because... Uh, we were the, at the Gobelin in the same time, and uh, now he's um, no, he was he has left DreamWorks since uh, two years, and he was uh, art director on uh, B movie, on uh, the crowds, and uh, in fact, if you you don't Switch see, back? of course, the face is here, yeah. but uh, <laughs> if you look at all those guys, they all succeed in animation. A more lot than half of, of them uh, went to Disney. Directors, yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of. Uh, I still got a lot of friends who are at uh, Disney or Pixar or DreamWorks, and uh, it's funny. Yeah, the Goblin. It's uh, kind of uh, every time a student came and say, "I want to do the Goblin," I say, "Of course, of course, uh, everybody wants to do the Goblin." But uh, if you succeed to do the Goblin, I think after this there is no problem to find uh, works or things like this. Mm -hmm. I but see, um, yeah. have you ever been to Annecy uh, Festival? No. no, never. No. You should. Yeah, you should. No. Oh, Wait to be invited. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> I'll <happily> go. <laughs> you know what? The, uh, the special thing about working on a that Nicholas was was talking about working at a studio. When you hear art, when you hear art or read articles about it, it's always about working on a production, but you're in a community of artists, yeah. of these super talented people showing each other their, their work constantly. Um, and Disney generally, as, as they will, especially toward the end, they'll work you very long hours to get the movie done. But you do have classes in life drawings and sometimes in story or pantomime or in things to help you grow as an artist to, to, to just you know, feed mm -hmm. off each other. And one nice thing when I started, it was uh, things were still film. When you were doing a scene, um, especially of your 
uh, on your own project because uh, you know it took less priority than than the production. Of course, the cameraman would do it as he had time. But when you did a scene and handed it off to camera, it was gone for three days or something like that. Uh, before we had video tests, you were constantly flipping. You wanted to get everything right as much as you could to before you sent it off to camera. And you would always go into another animator's room and say, what do you think of this? Or what do you think of this? Or you'd have that, can you act this out for me? There was, it was a, it wasn't just, uh, often in a, in a comic artist, you're working freelance, you're at home, you don't see people, <laughs> you know? Uh, you send in files you now, whereas animation, you, you're with that community and you use all that and, and people learn something new and they want to share it and all mm -hmm. that. Um, when video came in at first, what we noticed, uh, now it's in a computer, but the first video testing machines were not even cartridges or cassettes. They were reel-to-reel, -reel, the first systems. And that meant when you were looking for your test, you were running Ooh. through everybody's tests. Mm, yeah. uh, and what we noticed is, what we're going through, you keep seeing the same scene, and you're saying, is there any difference? And, and it was a new toy. So instead of everybody sharing and trying to get everything right, they'd get something done, show it <laughs> under, and then they'd say, oh, I think the eyebrow could be different, and then run back and do the eyebrow. And it wasn't, there was less thinking it through on the paper. So things began to change. And I think there was a little less that back and forth. But as the studio as a whole, it's, uh, even now in TV animation at Disney, they now have an art gallery show or they'll have a theme and artists, you know, everybody's encouraged to contribute to the theme of the month and it's on display and you get to see the talents of the artists beyond their animated work. Mm -hmm. um, so it is, it's, it's, it's an ongoing school. Uh, and like I say, a sense of community that's very special. It is not a place where you just, you're hired, you have this much footage to turn out a week, you have, you know, hey, were you talking to him? You know, get back to your desk. You know, it's, there is some of that, but, yeah, you know, it, be, uh, there is, you know, it is a very special place. Yeah. Of course, feature animation, TV animation was a whole different place from each other. Oh, yes. They differed a lot because TV, you were closer as a team, you well, get to manage your writers, your storyboard artists, layout artists. So when I, yeah, and and what was that's when you became a boss. Yes, <laughs> when uh, when I was uh, going to TV animation, one of the executives who had been in animation for a very long time, um, he said, "Television animation is different from features, and it'll take you a while to realize that." and you still won't really realize how different it is. Just, not just in pace, but in sensibilities you didn't have. Although there was a time where, at the beginning of TV animation, people were under contracts for, term contracts for so many years, not per production. And you didn't have to worry about finding your next job. And there was a time when there was a hiccup in production and they actually had life drawing classes and things like that. I never got to take them because I was the one in charge <laughs> of getting the next show ready. Uh, but yeah, the biggest difference is um, it's like creating animation by remote control. We created all the art necessary to inform an animator in another country what we wanted from exposure sheets to perhaps story reels, but backgrounds. You didn't do the, it features, if you see someone painting a background, that background is gonna end up on the screen. Yeah. We had wonderful artists doing beautiful backgrounds. That background is never gonna be on the screen. There's a bunch of artists looking at his work, studying it, and they say, okay, we need that scene, but we need it from this angle, and that angle, and this angle, and they create all of that. So it was a very strange transition, a little less hands-on. We TV. have a, a poster view as well. Do you and still remember where you are? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you recognize yourself? I think I can. 
<laughs> it's like we, I used to put, uh, this poster was done by just one of the animators. He just took pictures of everybody and made this Dave himself. Dave Brain. Dave Brain, yeah. who gave it as a gift to everyone. Um, the dark side of me <laughs> put this poster up when we moved to a new building, and I put post-it notes over the people who had left. <laughs> <laughs> And little yellow notes. It, it got very, very yellow. That's so. terrible. But part of that is there is, <laughs> there is a rotation. This, not that you see, this is Alan Zaslav, who was my partner on, on when I first started in the Gummy Bears, then Rescue Rangers and Darkwing mm -hmm. Duck and, and Aladdin. Um, or did he do Aladdin with me? Anyway, and then we went on different productions. But I would be in the S's. There's yeah. Toby Shelton, master character designer. Lower, lower. Then Lower. There. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh. Mm. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> so you can see. Ted. Oh, this. If yeah. you know Rescue Rangers and Professor Nimnol. Bruce Talkington. That's Bruce Talkington. Yeah. So that was. People say, "How did you come up with the design?" I couldn't pass this up to show both oh, of you. Oh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, oh, that's cool. Um, before the Paris Studio went to feature animation, they used to do TV animation as yeah, well. But I was not there. Because <laughs> no, they worked no. on uh, the pilot for uh, Darkwing Duck. DuckTales. DuckTales the movie was the first yeah. production. DuckTales, yeah, yeah, and the DuckTales movie. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the, the, the thing is that in France for us, it was, it was quite different for, for, from you because uh, uh, we were a studio and we were doing the scene or the things, the, the, um, uh, the Florida and the California wanted us to do, in fact. So, so we, don't, uh, we didn't have uh, storyboard artists or that kind of thing. We have layout artists, uh, background artists, uh, animators, and that kind of thing. But we, we didn't have, like in US, the complete panel of uh, production, mm -hmm. in fact. But uh, as he was uh, saying, it, it was amazing because uh, and that's what I'm telling the guys who wanted to do comics now. And um, the big difference is that I never saw uh, as much as talent as it was at Disney. Because if they, they were all specialized in what they were doing, in fact. And so the background artists, if you look at their background, I never found that quality again in comics, for example, because it was such beautiful uh, about the background, about the layout, about... Mm -hmm. uh, they were so strong in what they were doing, in fact. In comics, we are doing everything, so I think maybe we are not as strong in every uh, step of the production, you see. But uh, in Disney Animation, it was... Uh, yeah, it, for me, it was like... Uh, as I told, I was saying, it was... Uh, a good way to learn how to draw almost everything with the most talented guy. When you wake up every morning and the first guy you see uh, who makes a drawing is Glenn Keane, <laughs> I mean, I never saw that again, in fact. It's, uh, it doesn't exist. That, that guy doesn't exist, in fact. When, exactly when Glenn, I mean, again, Glenn huh? started two months after me and had the desk next to me. He used to use a thick pencil and and uh, and I'll say this in my workshop today that in animation you don't have to draw pretty like when you sit down and Eric Larson would start drawing something you're expecting this beautiful Figaro cat for instance and it's like no it's the basic shapes yeah, and yeah. rough lines and Glenn it was like carving it out of rock yeah, and I used to happy. say I used to say he <laughs> cheated because in his personal tests he used a very soft pencil and then you go and he'd, he'd lick and, and put a shadow on it, which was giving it more depth and all that. Uh, strangely, for his second test, uh, he decided to do a dancing bear uh, doing singing in the rain. And they cut down to the, and that was his test. And it's ridiculous to think uh, that he got caught up in the technical side of dialogue and worrying about hitting the beats and things like that whereas Glenn just animates mm. as a force of nature and this was kind of he was restricting himself to do that it was still a wonderful test and we heard that yeah yeah they he almost didn't make it <laughs> you know because <laughs> they said oh it's stiff it's not as lively 
And it's like, I want to travel back in time and take the review board mm, that the people were there with Walt and slap them. <laughs> it's like, do you realize how animation, you know, they, they wanted, it was a very precious thing to them. And it's like, the fact that he brought this character to life and move, he's, it's potential. Bring him mm -hmm. on, have him do classes, have him work with you, and he's going to get good. And, and actually, it was just... What was a, he did some scenes with John Pomeroy once he moved up in production, uh, and then they assigned him to Ollie Johnson, which was a great thing because Glenn had this power and wildness, mm -hmm. and Ollie did this restrained kind of feeling, and, and having Glenn do, I think he worked on Penny in The Original Rescuers, mm -hmm. a little girl, and um, it was wonderful that to have this power restrained mm. and learning a different thing that really improved him had he been uh, he would always have turned out wonderful but but it would have been a different path if they had put him in a, with a wilder animator who is doing broader things Be, but learning that restraint is the acting when I see comic artists who've done animation uh, no matter what style of work the trademark to me is I see more life in the drawings, you know, stronger action poses, and mostly acting, which of course is, is harder in comic panels because you have a, you've got to catch an emotion yeah. in a single drawing instead of actually acting through it. But uh, that's what I, I love seeing that, that it's rarely stiff to see the characters really come to life on the page. Yeah, but I, th I think that's what we, we can see clearly now uh, when uh, people have done animation and they are doing comics, we, we recognize their drawing because yeah. I they don't think in two dimensions, they think in three dimensions. They know that there's a, 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 a body and a shape and everything and mm -hmm. it, turns, it has to turn and, uh, in three uh, 16 degrees and that kind of thing and, uh, and of course acting and that kind of thing. I think we can clearly uh, very easily uh, see who has done animation and not in the uh, yeah. comics industry, in fact. You know, it, it occurs to me that when we started, when I started feature animation, the entire department putting out movies was only 65 people, uh, not counting the ink and paint people. And they were in uh, the animation building, upper left corner? Yeah, well, animation building we were doing in, uh, we were only in, most of it was offices, not animation offices. It wasn't like, like, oh, the animation building is full of animators. No, these six, well, uh, there's more than that. Let me go one, two, three. Maybe 10, 12 wings of the building were animation, and the other were people running other parts of Disney. Mm -hmm. So it was just very small, and that's why it took five years to do a feature, four, yeah. five years. I came, like I say, on Re Robin Hood had been a big success which had made six million dollars. <laughs> you know, that was a huge success, but different currency, of course. Um, and we did rescuers, and uh, it just, it took so long, it was just so small. And then once Michael Eisner came and Jeffrey Katzenberg, um, everything changed. And in between, I started work on Fox and a Half for Wooly Reitherman who was, you know, animated the T-Rex in um, Fantasia, did wonderful some Captain Hooks along with Frank Thomas and, and uh, started directing, I think, on Jungle Book. Anyway, he was the main director. And then they kind of pushed him out as a transition, but they didn't, and I'm talking about management, didn't trust the young people. And we were very fond of saying that Walt Disney was 33 when he did Snow White. We kind of felt like maybe we should give these guys a chance. But they were just uneasy. It was an age bias. So they went to a group of people who were not the best animators. In the old days, evidently, there was very much a cast system at Disney where there was the directing animators and animators, and then there were the second tier people. And, and some of those people suddenly became in charge of features. And it's like, they weren't the best people. Um, 
And when and when uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg came in and they were looking, Black Cauldron was in production, and the uh, they were showing a picture of the Horn King walking down steps in a dungeon, and Jeffrey said, "Do we have this from another angle?" <laughs> and there was a pause, and then someone said, "We could draw it from another angle," and there, everybody laughed. Those those old guys. I'm not talking about the nine old men, the, these mid-range people who suddenly had been elevated, laughed and kind of made fun of that. He's saying, he, you know, he doesn't know animation. I was the opposite. I said, he's treating it like a movie. Animation, Don Bluth used to talk about animation of, oh, you should go watch the ballet, you should look at mime and all that. And Ron Clemens said to me, he never says go to movies. It's like, it's like ballet, it's like mine, but it is a movie. You goes, the film goes through the projector, it beams it up on a screen, you're with many people watching it. So when Jeffrey came, I said, he's treating it like a real film. And that's when things changed in a good way at Disney, because Jeffrey loved movies. Everybody thinks of executives as suits and bean counters. You know, he loved movies. He, you know, he used to read scripts when he was in a post room, you know. Uh, anyway, he really brought, he brought editors into the process, not just, usually people say, why do you need editors in animation? Because the scenes are as long as they are with a little bit of extra on either end to cut and reorder. Jeffrey brought in film editors at the beginning of the process to work with storyboard reels to say, this would play better if I had a wide shot here. Just kind of making suggestions like that at the beginning of the process. Mm -hmm. And everything became more cinematic. You got scripts that had story arcs to talk about characters. Whereas when we worked on Fox and Hound, there was no script. You work from, which was good in that it always kept things visual, but you worked from an idea, you do some gags, they come in, they say, I like this one, not this one, develop that. Uh, and you, it kept things very visual and, and strong storytelling, but you could lose track of a story where Jeffrey was, what does this character learn? What's the theme of this? And especially when Howard Ashman came to do music, Howard brought the story sense of musical theater that he says, here's the character arcs, a character has a need they have a want, they don't realize it, they think they want that, and then they go through this, and at the end, they might get what they wanted, but it's a whole different way. When Simba says, I can't wait to be king, he thinks it's because he'll be in charge, everybody will serve him, and he goes through this journey, and he becomes the king, and he finds out his role is to serve everybody. You know, and that's when Disney Animation reached the new golden era. So uh, Howard Ashman was a composer, and when he was hired by Disney, he practically rewrote Little Mermaid, Aladdin, uh, Beauty and the Beasts, and he just made these movies his own. So his movies just, well, they pushed the movie along instead yeah. of just a story. And everybody, uh, and again, Jeffrey from that person who sat in the room and said, do we have this from another angle, really learned everything he could from animation, always pushing the animators you know, to greatness, worrying about things. Now, there was always compromise. He would, he would sit and watch, and I mean, this is when I was at TV, but my friends were, of course, still at Features, and you get these stories where he's saying, I think we need to do this, and do this, and do this, and that. Uh, and it's like a lot of rework. And then there'd be a moment, and it's like, how much will that cost? <laughs> and you'll hear, and he goes, okay, don't do that, don't do that, but still do this and this, you know, that you can't even... The company is very big, they have a lot of money, but there's still a sense of control in productions. But even then, the cut-down version of Disney features is way above what normals get. Yeah, so, oh yeah, just go ahead. <laughs> uh, the bathroom. Uh, <laughs> no problem. Go to the left. So, so yeah. Now we can talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> But the, the sentiments at Disney Studios after Walt passed away in 66 um, kind of fell asleep, the studio, and the old men weren't going to pass the baton to the new crew. It That's was what actually the, the, 
you have to realize that in the past, there was a time, I think, after they had done, well, Fantasia was a big flop at the time. Um, but early on, Roy Disney Sr. said, we don't need to do any more of these. He just said, we can re-release them every seven years. And, you know, that wasn't scary. When Walt said, no, we have a studio, this is our business. Once Walt got into live action films, that was his new thing to do, Roy was there saying, we don't need to do any more of these. <laughs> so the, Frank Thomas <laughs> said, basically, uh, at a certain point, especially after Disneyland, Walt's sentiment was, no, we'll keep things going. These are the guys who created the studios, you know, until they retire. So when Walt died, the nine old men basically said, well, I guess this is our last picture. <laughs> you know, they, they thought the place would be shut down. Uh, instead, Jungle Book, thankfully, Walt's last picture made a, a large amount of money, you know, for that. And then in the 70s, and like I said, Robin Hood, they did Aristocats, and, and Robin Hood made a lot of money. And management, you know, Card Walker was the president of Disney at the time. Uh, evidently, he came down and he said, so what have you done to train new animators? And they said, we thought they were shutting the place down, so they had to come up with how do we bring in animators. And like I say, that early training program, you know, I don't know who slipped through their fingers like, you know, Glenn Keane almost did, you know. Uh, it's that it was very precious. They were holding people to a higher standard as opposed to thinking of this is raw material, you know, that mm -hmm. we can develop and everything. They really, my personal test was, the first one was just very simple of an alligator uh, wearing a pirate hat and he had a sword and he kind of did a couple steps this way and this way and he threw the sword up and caught it with his tail. I was thrilled that just things were moving around and all of that <laughs> and had a sense of weight. But what they saw in it is they thought they had a sense of personality to the alligator, just how jaunty I made mm -hmm. him and all that. Um, and that's, what, that's the type of things that you know, they were looking for. Um, so it was... That, it wasn't that they weren't willing to pass it on. They, they were open. In fact, some of those mid-range people were jealous because we were told in the old days there was that caste system. Exactly. And suddenly you had young people coming in working with these top animators and getting to animate scenes. And there was a... Uh, when I first interviewed the... Uh, young animators, John Pomeroy, Gary Goldman, um, uh, Dale Bear, were animating on a Winnie the Pooh half hour. So at that time I was told, well, you'll be, you know, if this works out, you'll be in an in-betweener and then after, you know, I wish I had written down all the years, but mm. it, they were long. It was like, after like four years, you'll be able to possibly be an animator and then once you get a hundred feet in a movie maybe after that you can and it was kind of like back in the days where you start here and then you go and then you retire and you die that your whole life would be Disney that was the expectation but the road to becoming an animator sounded very long I had that interview in like March and when I came in June suddenly a lot of those young guys had been made animators because what had happened is they realized that they had done the bulk of the animation in this Winnie the Pooh short. Mm -hmm. And so they, you know, forget tradition and all that. If you took away their work, there would be no short. It was this featurette and they, I don't know how, I wasn't there at the time. I just heard stories after the fact. But it was kind of like not necessarily threatening to leave, but pointing mm -hmm. out that this isn't right. This is, if you do the work, you should have the title, you should have the role. Um, so the world basically had already changed by the time I showed up just a few yeah, months later. But, but people left in the 70s when Don Bluth left? 
Don Bluth had has Gary Goldman and what thirteen. It was Don <laughs> just like we always say Frank and Ollie and Ron and John, it was uh Don and Gary. Don Don Gary and John or Don John and Gary, I think we said. Uh which was Don Bluth, John Pomeroy and Gary Goldman. Um People who were there at the time have very mixed feelings about Don Bluth, where fans will say that's, you know, wow, look at the beautiful work. Don, um, basically, on the rescuers, he got a whole sequence to be in charge of. And he was not actually a young person. He was much older. He was actually, I think, the, about the same age as Ron Miller. But he was, he was pushing for young people to stand up for themselves. And well, they, no, they were going to hand the studio to Don on a platter. I mean, it was going to be his that they were grooming. He was the only one they were kind of grooming to be taking over. But Don, you know, when Ron Miller came in, who was not necessarily a, a movie lover, I mean, made them. But he was not a sports guy. He was an athlete. Well, uh, uh, definitely. I mean, people can be athletes and still love movies and, and sure. change careers, but you were, you were right. Um, but he could still come in as the boss and give notes. And, and that's useful because he's like a general audience member. But I think that chafed at Don. So early on, Don started a project, Banjo the Woodpile Cat, that many of us worked on a little bit, uh, some more than others. Um, I was very close to Don for a while and working with him, on, not so much on that and then on Pete's Dragon and just in kind of an unofficial role. Um, what management didn't realize is that w the cover story, once they found out about this, Ron, Don said, this is a chance for all of us to learn animation and learn the process. I, having been there, they were talking day one about leaving Disney. That was it. He wanted to start his own thing. So every time there was a new group of, of students or animators mm -hmm. coming in, they'd kind of go through and kind of cherry pick mm -hmm. who they wanted and try to bring them into the fold. And again, the studio was very small back then, and you could walk into the president's office and have a conversation. I went into Ron Miller's office every once in a while and would, would chat about things. Um, I took it on my, finally, as thing moved on, I said, I, this has to be said, that Don is going through every um, group and, and trying to get him on the project. And Ron Miller said, you know what, I think maybe you're the troublemaker, that you rile things up and stuff like that. And it was like, that was the last time I took a meeting with him. Not that he wouldn't have taken it, but I said mentally, I tried. And that's when I went over to Imagineering, and I was over there when Don, um, all the people walked out. And they staged the walkout to all do it on the same day, to all say bad things about one specific executive, the Donald Duckwall person, because Don didn't like him, and just as the yep. executive head of the department. So it was very orchestrated, and um, they, the company didn't, they worried about the, the department because this 11 people, I think, went out. These things. What Don had trouble with, in addition to not being in control, is the CalArts people. Brad Bird, Tim Burton, John Musker, Mike Giamo, who is an art director on Frozen, you know, Chris Buck, a director on Tarzan. These new guys have different ways of thinking and different ways of animating, and they were full of energy, and they were alive, and they were bringing a new energy in. And, and Don, in animation, loved a dragon overlap. He loved doing a scene where uh, he was one of the people who was told to have Maid Marian dance with a, um, a dog which was actually reused animation from Snow White, but he said, oh, I love just making the gown go around. And it's like you compare that to the sensibility of like a Brad Bird who would do snappy timing and, and just cut out the frames here and, and jump ahead and, and would, it was, so when they left, the executives all panicked and worried, but the people left in the department said, yes. This was their chance to move ahead, and that was the energy that really brought to it. So 
like I say, it was mixed emotions like that. And then I remember when I saw the first footage of Mrs. Frisbee and the cats of Nim, uh, uh, cats, rats. Um, the secret, secret, film. The film was Secret, secret of Nim. So the book secret was of Nim, Mrs. Yeah. Frisbee. And, yeah. uh, it was, um, I just saw a sequence at a convention of, of The Owl by John Pomeroy. And I called them up. I said, John, I, I just wanted to say that that was wonderful animation and that was so powerful. That was the best sequence in the movie, I thought. Um, and the rest of the movie was fine, but didn't come up to the, that. But evidently, later on, I heard that when I called, it was like, Ted Stones is calling, why is, why is he calling here? Because they were, they were <laughs> older than I, they had, mm -hmm. were above me. Uh, but it was just to, in that sense of artistic community, just to say, I saw wonderful work. And later on, John said that meant a lot. To, to hear it from the outside, because John is the one that finally came back to Disney and you know animated at Disney again. So, the, in the years after, there were many shifts in well, not just popularity, because in end of the 80s there was a well, the renaissance of Disney feature animation, uh, and that led it eventually to start Disney's uh, studio in Paris starting up. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm no. losing <laughs> my thread here. Um, so. When it started up in, oh, for feature animation at least, in 95, oh yeah. working on Hunchback of Notre Dame, yeah. you were riding the wave of that renaissance. Yeah. Did you feel the pressure of that? No, for, for in, fact we, in, in fact, we didn't realize uh, a lot of things because I was, at the time, I was a student. And uh, we went to Disney where we was doing uh, DuckTales. Mm -hmm. And so, for us, for the studio, it was just a, a good opportunity to, to. W there were some rumors that we were we were doing uh, we are we were doing we will doing uh, anime uh, feature animation, mm -hmm. and um, and so at that point they made they gave us uh, Runaway Brain, which was uh, the short one we we did, and after this in the back of Notre Dame and. Uh, no, the, the only thing is that, the only sad thing, I think, about the studio was that for 10 years, we always thought that one time Disney will give us a complete movie to do in mm -hmm. France. And it never happens, in fact. So mm -hmm. that was just a sad thing. But yeah, this picture is so cool. It was Roy Disney who came once um, to visit the studio. I'm here. Um, Above, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> with a lot of uh, other great artists, and uh, it's uh, uh, it's Kevin Lima, and uh, there are a lot of uh, uh, good people here, and uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, we had the luck to to work on a lot of different things, and we were so glad on every movie. In fact, it was fun because, for example, on Atlantis. They gave us the character of Elga to do. And uh, in fact, we didn't know what to expect uh, after every movie, in fact. So after every movie, we had kind of a break. Uh, we were still working for Disney, but uh, we have maybe two, three weeks, maybe two, three months sometimes, just for free, just yeah, doing whatever you want. So that's. At that point, I started to do my own comics at Disney, in fact. And um, because we were expecting uh, what would be the next feature movie we, were, we will work on. And after this, we didn't know what, to, uh, what it will be and uh, what we have to do on this. Sometimes it's a sequence, sometimes it's a character. Uh, for Tarzan, we made the, all the animation of Tarzan uh, in Paris because Glenkin went to Paris for two years, mm -hmm. and we also did The, um, the Tiger. Uh, and um, yeah, it, it, uh, that's what uh, was fun. For uh, the Hunchback of Notre Dame, it's all the introduction we are made in Paris. And uh, for Hercules as well, the introduction. Which one? For Hercules. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, But for Hercules, also the Cyclops and uh, the Titans mm -hmm. were made in... Uh, that's lovely an animation, yeah. actually. And, uh, <laughs> So yeah, we, the only thing that, uh, as I told you, that is uh, that was sad is that 
we were doing the, I think we, we are a great community doing, I think, great quality on, on those movies. Mm -hmm. And um, the, the thing is, is that we, we were expecting one day to have the opportunity to do a complete feature in, anime, uh, in France. But I think the big problem, two, two problems I saw in this is that uh, at the time we were doing um, like Skype, uh, mm -hmm. phone calls uh, mm -hmm. with a video and that. But at the time it cost a lot of money, but a lot of money. You can't imagine because now it's free almost. Yeah. And uh, at that time we were doing video conference um, two or three times a week uh, with US and uh, every time it was one hour talking about the scene and that kind of thing and it was lots of money for for just just uh, talking in fact and uh, the other problem is that uh, after Lino and Stitch and uh, maybe another two or three ones they're starting to do uh, three dimension and so mm -hmm. At that time, um, we thought that uh, it might be the end of the studio because uh, we were all doing only 2D animation and uh, that was the end, in fact. So they, they didn't want uh, to, I, I don't know, to. It, it, it was not the same uh, studio after this, in fact. And that's, at that point, I decided to, I started my own comics and mm -hmm. so it was the well, end for me for that's few. Disney. A few Disney comics. Yeah, but uh, that's back on Disney. <laughs> so <laughs> that's back on Disney, but you can talk about uh, yeah, comics so as well. So I did, uh, for those who, who don't know me, I did um, 15 comics, 17 comics, in fact. And uh, three years ago, uh, my publisher, Lena, uh, has the opportunity uh, ask at Disney if some uh, French uh, or Belgium or European um, uh, comics artists can uh, do their own version of uh, Mickey uh, and Donald and all that stuff. And uh, it was a big fight uh, of my publisher uh, with Disney, but uh, after three years of um, a fight, uh, Disney finally say yes. And uh, we have the opportunity to do that thing. And it's a kind of... Uh, yeah, it's uh, for us. For me, it was really fun to to do this because I, when I left Disney, it's because uh, I really like the character, but uh, I I didn't have the 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 freedom to do whatever I, w I wanted on this one. And it's funny now that I came back on Disney character, but I'm completely free, almost completely free because this is a wonder wonderful book if you don't have it you should get it it's just crazy fun so i'm waiting for the other day to be translated into english but i may just thank you get the French version and translate it with google myself so you know no but it's funny because we are we are completely free on on those things but disney always have an eyes on it and sometimes they make us do some little changes but uh, that's okay because uh, because we know the rules also. We yeah. know that if you work for Disney, it's not to destroy what, what they have created. In fact, I think for us, it's uh, Disney give us their toys, and they say, okay, you can play with them. So mm -hmm. for us, we are trying to do it uh, with a lot of uh, honesty and uh, responsibility mm -hmm. also. Great. Um, there's no time for questions. That's <laughs> too bad. No problem. Sorry, uh, if you want to ask yeah. for a question, you, you would have to come at the booth. Yeah. yeah. They're okay. both at the Artist Alley and yeah. next to each Although other. Although I have a, another panel, <laughs> so oh. I'll see you at 2 o'clock. <laughs> ah, you have another panel. Okay. I have a workshop. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's like, you can take it over for me. No, no, no. You it's can okay, draw. It's okay. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, I would draw. I would draw. So at uh, Stones, Nicolas Kiramida, thank you very much for uh, Thanks a lot. being in this panel. Thank you very much. Thank you. Boop, 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 boop.